Bible starts out with this amazing story, the creation story. In the beginning, God created. And so for the first two chapters of the Bible, we see this beautiful, wonderful picture of creation. Uh, Matter of fact, in each kind of step of the process, God looks and says, it's good. And then there's man, and man, it's very good. And there's this beautiful picture of a garden. And God says, listen, this is, this is your job. You're going to tend to it. And there's, everything is provided for. There, everything that, that Adam would need is right there in the garden. And then we fast forward to the end of the Bible. In the book of Revelations, we get to the last two chapters. And again, we kind of see another beautiful picture of, well, there's a new heaven, a new earth. And there's this, all this in between. So we got two chapters in the beginning, two chapters at the end, and man, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. But there's all of this stuff happening in between that is the outworking of one particular act. This one rule that God had for Adam. Listen, there's all of these trees. There's all of this fruit. There's all of this things that you can enjoy and and be happy with. And there's woman right here beside you that we've created. And everything is perfect. But just one thing, don't eat of this tree. And we kind of know how the story goes. And so the rest of the scriptures, we find God dealing with the outworking of this one act of sin entering in and messing up everything. Just one rule. Don't eat this from this tree. Now, imagine for a second, you know, there's that moment that you could imagine we're going to get to heaven and then all of the people you're going to meet. Hey, Moses, oh, so good to meet you. Noah, uh, all the disciples. And you're just going down the line. You're shaking everybody's hand. It's so good to meet And then who are you? Adam. Oh. It's a good thing it's heaven, you know, because there will be that part of us that, you know, none of it's going to be there, but there would be that part that's like, dude, one rule, just one thing. And so this week, the only thing I kept thinking about is that the Eagle song, Desperado. Why don't you come to your senses? You always want that one thing that you just can't have. But isn't that true? Have you ever gone out to eat and you open up the menu? And the waiter's standing right there, and you're just like, oh, oh, the ribeye. And to which, at this point, the waiter says, oh, we're sorry, sir. We have everything but the ribeye. No! See, it's that one thing that we can't have. If I was to say, hey, you could, you could have any favorite color in the world that you want except for red. You instantly want that color red to be your favorite color. Or all of these things. You could have all of this, but here is this one thing. That God says, no, don't eat of this one. See, and see, it's a whole different game whenever God says no to us. See, sometimes as followers of Christ, we look and we say, listen, uh, God, I'll follow you. You know, we're kind of like Peter, wherever you go, I'll die for you. I'll do all these things. But then there's this moment where God says no. Like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, hold on. And then we kind of take this attitude with us and it filters throughout our lives and it filters into our marriages and it filters into our politics 
And it filters into the way that we look at a church or a pastor. It filters into the way we look at our friends and our relationships. There's that moment when somebody says no. And all of a sudden you're taken back. Oh, wait a minute. It doesn't work like this. And this is what's happening. Uh, sin is coming into the world. Adam has eaten of this apple. There's this moment where they have found out that they are naked and ashamed. Shame has come. There was no shame before this point. And so God says, what have you done? And Adam says, it's the woman. <laughs> to which we're still doing that today. <laughs> but then the woman says, no, 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 it was the serpent. And then which the enemy said, yeah, yeah. But then God begins to deal with it. And so in Genesis 3, we find that God begins to speak. And he says something different than what he has said in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, he's spoken these words and he's created and there's life and there's light. And he separated light and darkness and the earth and the sea. And he's going to name things. And there's beauty of creation. But now he says something else. And there's this, well, this curse. And so there's the curse to the serpent first, and then to the woman, and then to the man. So I'd like to read Genesis 3, starting with verse 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Then God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said this, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will st struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, but you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. Uh, this morning, I want to kind of focus in on the words that the Lord spoke to man. Now, next week, we're going to talk to the words that he spoke to woman. And so it's going to be like ladies week next week. So all you girls want to come out as we talk, tackle this topic of uh, that little verse there where it says, uh, you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. <laughs> yeah. You're not allowed to bring bats or stuff to church. So like there's no throwing tomatoes at me, but that's next week. So I'll have one more week week to okay anyway yeah yeah to live this week i want to talk about man and, and the first thing god says is listen because you've done this the ground is cursed and all your life you're going to struggle and scratch to make a living from it uh, and it's going to grow thorns and thistles so when it comes to the idea of work we need to have a good theology of what work is first of all work is good Work is good. Work is not a bad thing. Because we find that Adam, before the fall, before sin, before he's uh, disobeyed God and eaten of that tree, that God has said, listen, I've put you here for this place, and you're going to work this ground. You're, you're going to 
you're going to, uh, you're naming animals, you're, you're, you're tending to the garden, you're doing these. So work on its own is good. Uh, matter of fact, even at the end of all things, remember the, the culmination of all things, there will still be work to be done. And so to say that, oh, well, you know, just all work is cursed would be a very bad theology. But there's the reality because of the fall, now your work is broken. Work doesn't work. See, before the fall, it was a whole nother story. Adam would, would put his labor in, and the ground would yield its fruit. It, it would do what it was intended and made to do. But now sin has entered, and God's saying, listen, you're going to do all of this work, and for your work, you're going to get some thorns and some thistles. You are going to have days in your job, no matter how good of a job you think you have, ladies and gentlemen, oh, man, I just have the perfect job. I just love my job. I've, uh, this is my calling. This is what I'm s- supposed to do. There are going to be days where you are going to think, this stinks, where all you want to do is throw in the towel and say, it is not worth it. I've done all of this work. I've sweated. I've worked my butt off, and everything that is produced is thorns, and thistles. I've done all these things. What is happening? And, and it doesn't matter how much you love your job, how good your job is, how much money you're making, how much influence you have, how much popular or whatever it is that might, you might find the satisfaction from your job. There will be days like this. There'll be days like this, my mama said. <laughs> and so did Jesus. And it's going to happen, and kind of contrary to uh, some preachers, every day is not Friday. Every day is not going to be the best day. You are going to have a bad day. You might even have a bad week. And it comes, as a matter of fact, when it comes to this kind of concept of you come to Christ and everything magically gets better and everything is just you know, you, you'll never get sick again. Your bank account's going to be full. Nobody's ever going to get mad at you. The Bible doesn't tell any of these things, by the way. As a matter of fact, the concept of everyday Friday, there, there's one Friday in particular. As a matter of fact, there's a Friday, six hours, one Friday, where a man was threatened by a mob, beaten, and hung on a cross on that Friday. And so even Fridays have their days. And so sometimes in our Christian walk, what we've been taught is, yeah, come to Christ and everything's good. All of these things will be happening. And we kind of live our life like it's supposed to be this Friday. It's supposed to be a party day. It's supposed to be good. But then there's like the opposite end of the spectrum where I would say there's the Christian that lives their life like every day Monday. And Monday is kind of the dreaded day. Oh, we've got to start the week again or all these things pile in. How was your week? Well, it was a Monday. You know, how's your day? It's a Monday. And so then there's this kind of Christian that there's, there's the everyday Friday and everything's great. Then there's the everyday Monday where, well, you know, this curse, you know, my job stinks. Life is just terrible, but that's the outworking of it. I'll just get through it. And one day I'll get to heaven and it'll get better then. We know those guys. We know those people. We've been those people. Okay? We've had those times in our life. And so there's the, 
and the, the everyday Friday, the everyday Monday. And so we come up with this solution. Oh, well, if I could just somehow find a balance to this thing. And what I, what I would call we live as the everyday Wednesday people. Where we just try to find this magical thing called balance in our life. And so I, I understand the reality of the curse and that there's pain and there's suffering. And I understand the reality that there's going to be toil and weeds and thorns. But then I also understand the reality of, uh, of there is joy and peace and happiness. And if I could just kind of find myself right here, I could, if I could get just a little bit more on the happy side, it makes life a little bit better. Because then I know it's, I'm not over here, I'm not over here. And so let me kind of give you something that, Maybe no one's ever told you before. And at first when I say this, something inside you is going to want to disagree. But I want you to take this and I want you to think about it for a while before you just instantly disagree. Balance is an illusion. Balance is, the Bible does not teach you to be balanced. Jesus nowhere tells you, I've come that you would live a balanced Christian life. This is what the Bible does teach. The Bible teaches, like what Paul says, that I have learned to be content in all situations. Whether my day is Monday or whether my day is Friday, you could have peace in both. Whether your bank account is full or whether your bank account is empty, you could have peace in both. And it's not about being balanced because there will be these days and there will be these days. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so if I'm having the worst week ever, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I'm having the best week ever, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Peace and joy. See, it doesn't matter like David, if we're herding sheep or if we're the king of a nation, God, you're in control. And so whether I'm living in a palace or whether I've gotten kicked out of that palace and I'm being hunted down and I'm living in a desert, God, you're in control. In all things, in all things, Christ who strengthens me, in him, the hope of glory. Now I could say that, and we could take that in our minds, and we could say, "Okay, I, I, I could agree with that. I could, I could agree that Lucas, I believe that that's what the Bible's teaching." And but then there's this big question of how does that play out practically? How does how does that affect my everyday life whenever I've had a bad week, or when everything's going right, or when I'm, I'm in this kind of seems like it's balancing way too far over here, or or whatever, how does this actually come into play, and how can I live this out? Um, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in chapter 30, somewhere around page 600. You'll find it, middle-ish. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning with verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me Will you be saved? In quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will get our help from Egypt. 
They will give us swift horses for riding into battle. But the only swiftness you are going to see is the swiftness of your enemies chasing you. One of them will chase a thousand of you, and five of them will make all of you flee. You will be left like a lonely flagpole on the hill or a tattered banner on a distant mountaintop. But I love how it starts off. Only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. Another translation says like this. When you return and rest in me, you will find salvation. Whatever it is you're going through. Returning and resting to God. But he says, listen, this is your problem. This this, this is your problem, Israel. What you want to do is you want to turn and look to Egypt. Because to them, Egypt was their source of strength. Egypt has the strong horses. Egypt has the manpower. Egypt has all of these things. And it's a representation of, well, what do we look forward in our lives when things go bad? Well, I could trust in, in this. I could trust in my education. I could trust in my bank account. I could trust in my job. I could trust in, in the fact that A, B, and C is happening. And God's saying, listen, when you do that, this is the outcome of it. Those swift horses, man, one person is going to send you running. One person, five of them is going to get all of you guys going. In other words, he's saying this. If you're building your house on anything other than the rock, you're building it on sand. Education, popularity, money, influence, power, all of that is a sinking ship. It's the Titanic. It might look strong, but it's going down. But if you just simply repent and return And rest, rest in me. You're going to find salvation. There's something about that. There's something about that moment where you just say, God, I just lay in your arms. I can't figure this out on my own. I can't work hard enough because when I'm working myself to death, but I keep just getting thorns and thistles. So, God, I'm just returning to you. And I'm resting in you. Or God, I've gone the opposite end of this spectrum. God, I got so much. I got more than enough. But Lord, something's still just not right. I'm just, you know, it's kind of like David. You know, he, he's this king and he's this palace and everything is going well. He's defeating all of his battles. And all of a sudden he has this moment where he sees Bathsheba. And then he just, just sins. And then the next thing you know, it, this unfolding of this unfolding of the sin is he's trying to cover it up so he, he brings in uriah and he says, oh, I'll, I'll try and cover it up and i'll have uriah come in he'll be with his wife and that way it'll make it look like i didn't do it and then he's trying to do all of this thing because who knows that whenever we sin it takes a lot of work to cover it up and then we end up putting a sin on top of a sin to try to make this better and so, so he's gone from committing adultery to then he's committing murder and he and here's uh, on a side note here's a little interesting thing about david and uriah Later on, when you're reading the list of David's mighty men, you know who's on that list? Uriah. One of, out of all of the millions of people, one of David's greatest proponents, somebody that loved David, his, a great warrior, 
And David sends them out to get killed because of his sin. And as leaders, we've got to be very careful that we don't kill our Uriahs. Try to make one sin right with another sin. And God's saying, there's only one way, David. You've got to repent and you've got to return to me. Because all this anxiety that you're feeling, all this trouble, all this suffering, you've got to learn to just rest in me. And sometimes it's not even sin for us in the fact of it. It's not one of these Ten Commandments or something. Sometimes it's sin for us whenever God has just said no about something that it may be okay for everybody else, but God said, no, I don't want you to do that. Oh, God, it's okay. Everybody else does it, but God's telling you no. Just like he told Adam, don't eat of this tree. But but look, but then we try to make excuses. Imagine Adam, imagine what the enemy used to persuade the man and woman to eat it. In the day that you eat this, you will be like him. Well, that's a good thing. I'll be like God. Oh, yeah. How often do we justify our sin? by Oh, well, look at all the good it'll do. But if, if I do this, I'm helping all these people. It doesn't matter. Jesus said no. Stop it. Repent, return, and rest. I think for some of us, there's just so much anxiety because we haven't listened. God's told us some things to do, and we haven't listened to his no. Just like Desperado, we always want that one thing that we just can't get. And God says, stop it. But God, they got it. Not for you. Not for you. Don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust in the ways of this world. We live in a society that says, if you want to get ahead, if you want to do these things, do A, B, and C, and and you're going to be okay. It doesn't work like that. We've got to put our our trust and find our rest in him. Uh, I've said this before. It's Mark Buchanan that makes this statement. You will never learn to risk for for God until you learn to rest in God. You will never learn to risk for God. For God until you've learned to rest in God. Guys, we've got to just start slowing down. I want to speak this to you, and I want just a real, I want you to take this. It might not be for everybody, but it's for somebody. You are too busy to be effective. You are too busy to be effective. You've got to learn slow down i read a letter one time it was actually written by charles spurgeon the one of the greatest preachers of all time and he writes this letter um matter of fact i don't know if it was spurgeon it might have been c.s lewis but he says this he says i'm sorry for the length of this letter i was too busy to write you a short one think about that for a minute think about that Sometimes less is more. You could do more in six days of labor than you could ever do in seven. And God's saying, we've got to learn to just repent and rest. God, I'm sorry for trying to take it all on my shoulders. 
I'm sorry for trying to fix this problem. I'm sorry for trying to just work harder. I'm sorry for just trying to even just pray harder. I'm sorry for trying to just be this good Christian to try to prove my salvation. And I repent for that. Matter of fact, it reminds me of this story uh, that we find in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus gets on the boat and they push off. He's having this conversation with Peter. He says, I want you to cast your net on the water. And Peter says, God, we've been working at this thing all night long, and we've come up empty. But nevertheless, since you said, we'll give it a shot. He cast that net on the water, and all of a sudden it says that the net was just full and overflowing to the point of the nets were breaking. And here's what I, I really like, the next phrase, where Peter looks at Jesus and says, I'm a sinful man. I'm a, that's his reaction. Because he knows. I've just spent all night working as hard as I can. And for all of my work, it's brought me thorn and thistles. But God, one moment with you and you filled it. But now God, you, you've just even, you've got to go for me because I'm a sinful man. And I can't even handle this. And Jesus is saying, listen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And when you follow me, you'll find that, yes, there is death, but there's resurrection. And there will be days where we go out there and you're going to have empty nets. But there's going to be days when there's full nets. But you know what? It doesn't matter because I'm with you. Because I'm with you. It would be a shame to live this life get everything that we've ever wanted, have all of our nets be full and overflow and miss Jesus. And miss Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Isaiah continues, verse 18. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him. So he can show you his love and his compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. He will be gracious if you ask for help. He will surely respond to your cries. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be with you to teach you. He will... You will see your teacher with your own eyes. Your own ears will hear him right behind you. It's like a voice saying this. This is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. And when we repent and when we turn and when we simply rest and wait in him, he's coming through. And it'll be like a voice saying, go this way, go that way. And God's saying, look, I'm waiting for you. We're complaining. We're waiting for God. God's saying, no, 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 no. Let's get this right. I'm waiting for you. What I need you to do is to learn how to rest. I'll need you to learn how to trust me. That's my biggest prayer. Lord God, not that I would learn and believe all these things new, but Lord, help me to believe all the things I already believe. 
Help me to believe all the things that I say I believe. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need your help. I need your help, God. What is the chief end of men? Chief end of men is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Lord God, that I would give you glory if the nets are empty and or if the nets are full. 1 Peter 4.11 says that God in all things may be glorified. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. So whether your life feels like a Monday and everything is going wrong and all of your work and all of your labor and all of your heartache and pain and everything you've put into this has yielded thorns and thistles, I would have you remember that there is a God who has made a way and remember the cross and there is rest and there is salvation in him. Or whether right now every day is Friday and everything is going right and your nets are overfilling and everything that is just so good, I would have you remember that there is a God and there is a cross and he made a way. And when we repent and rest and trust in him, he brings salvation. Or whether you're that person that's trying to live like every day's Wednesday and you're trying to be this balanced Christian. But the thing is, well, you're, you're too depressed to be happy, but you're too happy to be depressed. And so you just find yourself right there trying to be something. I would have you remember that there is a God. And when we repent and when we trust in him and just rest in him, he brings salvation in quietness and confidence is your strength. He made a way. He is a God who makes all things new. He is a God who brings peace in the storm. Rest in repentance and salvation. Trust not in Egypt, but fall into the arms of the Father. Because it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table. But you always want the one thing that you can't get. Desperado, why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for oh too long. And God's saying, come home. Come home. Repent and rest. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come to the sea.